0: Now, where are my um, rule breakers at? My people who have completely skipped Thanksgiving and gone straight to decorating for Christmas. Yeah, you people, my Christmas lights are up too. I am with you. I'm I'm excited for Christmas uh, as it approaches, and I, I think that, that excitement was built back even when I was a kid. I remember my mom would take us Christmas tree shopping and where are my real Christmas tree people? Like who buys the real ones? Sap dripping through. Your house smells like an air freshener for months and months and months. I'm pretty sure I was allergic to it my whole life, but I just didn't care because it was Christmas and we're so excited. I'm a very boring parent now because we have a fake tree and I don't even bring my kids through that. Uh, But Christmas tree is kind of a funny thing. We spend, I don't even know what they cost anymore, $100, $150 now on a Christmas tree that we know It's going to die within four weeks, and then we're going to have to throw it out. That that Within four weeks, it's going to start to turn brown. The needles are going to fall all over our floor. It's going to create a mess, but we, we just make this part of our life, and it's such a disposable thing. And we know that it comes and goes, but do you recognize how long it takes for that tree to grow, for you to have it for those four weeks so that you can throw away $150? I know I'm all in the Christmas spirit, aren't I? I'm not trying to rain on you real Christmas tree people, but, I, but I just, it's an interesting thing because we just, you know, we want to go over at Pine Island in Andalusia and grab a Christmas tree out of that lot where they would sell random things and we want to put it up in a room. But do you recognize that for a six foot tall Christmas tree, it took them 10 years to grow that so that you could throw it away in a few weeks? I mean, it's an interesting thing. A farmer can't just decide mid-July or mid-November, this seems like a good time to plant some Christmas trees. I want to sell some Christmas trees. They have to have 10 years of forethought to bring you that decoration that you put up inside of your house. For 10 years, they plant it, they go and they protect it from the weather when it gets bad. They have to shape it for 10 years so it doesn't turn into a Christmas bush. And for 10 years, they do this so that you can have that tree for a few weeks. Today, we're getting into a concept of sowing and reaping. We're talking about habits and how our habits are like planting seeds. But I want to, even just with the season we're in, I want you to think about the fact a Christmas tree in our house that's six foot tall, and I know some of you guys are overachievers and you're getting the nine foot, you're getting the 10 foot tall tree in your place. And it took 10 years for that to grow. And you look at your life and you see habits that you've been growing for 20 years, for 30 years, for 40 years. You have habits in your marriage and in your relationships that you've been sowing and multiplying time after time. And you're like, I wanna change and destroy those habits. And I worked really hard to be nice to them for three days. And to my shock, three days of trying, did not fix 20 years that I've been messing it up. And so I'm gonna throw up my hands and say, well, I tried for three days. I wanna talk to you about the way that some of your habits have worked in your life and the way that some of them can work. And that there's a spiritual principle to your habits when you are investing yourself in spiritual things. And I want you to see it clearly because your habits really set a trajectory for your life. It's an interesting saying that, that was in, in the book, and this book goes along with the content we've studying. If you're saying, I need some more help in forming out the practicalities of this theology, The Power to Change by Craig Shell is a great read to go alongside your normal study of scripture. I highly encourage it. But one of the sayings that, that he repeated in the book was, when you're born, you look like your parents, but when you die, you look like your habits. And we can point fingers for a while at our family of origin, but there is a point where you have to take authority and say, my habits are shaping my spiritual life. If my spiritual life isn't what I want it to be, I need to look at my habits. My habits are shaping my relationships. My habits are shaping my finances. My habits are shaping my physical shape. And if you don't like what you've been cultivating from your habits, it's time to begin to sow something different, all right? Open up your Bible with me to Galatians chapter six. And we're gonna start with verse seven and we're gonna read verses seven through nine. Galatians chapter six, verses seven through nine. And we'll put this on the screen as I read it. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, real transformation in our life, it's not just behavior modification. It's not just about the things that we do, but it's spiritual transformation, becoming a different person, having a different heart, having a different mind. And this is a criticism that you'll hear about Christianity often. People will say, you're telling me that someone who's lived a terrible life, they can reach a moment where they cry out to Jesus and God will just forgive them of everything. Yes, theologically, absolutely, God will forgive everything. And then the, com- the complaint will continue. But then they can make their decision and they continue to live however they want and they get to go to heaven. Well, let's talk about what scripture actually says because there needs to be clarity. And one of the things that scripture says about those types of situations is, first of all, one, don't deceive yourself. We're gonna start with that per- portion of the passage. Don't deceive yourself. The apostle Paul is writing to the church in Galatia and he's really dealing with an issue amongst the church where people are saying knowing that you're saved is all about rules. You have to follow all the rules of Judaism to make sure that you have it. And he's clarifying it's not just about the rules, but it's about following Jesus. In fact, you cannot begin, you cannot complete with rules what the spirit of God began with spirit. It's about the spirit. And so following the rules, that's not an assurance of salvation but there's something about the heart. Like don't deceive yourself. If you are depending on following rules to know that you're saved, you're gonna be wrong. But if you're completely disregarding the rules, the teachings of scripture, you're gonna find yourself in a bad place as well. So you need to make sure you're not deceiving yourself and that you know where your heart is because God is not gonna be mocked. He's not gonna be made a fool of. I like to, when I talk about this passage, I like to bring up, The the parable, it's not a parable, but it's an interaction with a rich young ruler that Jesus had. There's a young guy and he, as people saw it, he had his life really well together because he had some money. And, And he had done what he could to follow the commandments since he was young, but he wanted to show himself approved by other people. And so he went up to Jesus and he said, what must one do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, follow the commandments. And the rich young ruler said, I've done that since I was a youth. And Jesus looked into his heart. And saw what was really there, and he said, give up the money that you have and come and follow me. What a great invitation to follow Jesus through his ministry. But the rich young ruler went away sad because he had great wealth. Now look, he was checking the boxes of following the commandments and the rules. But it became very apparent that his heart, did not belong to Christ. His heart did not belong to God because he wasn't willing to give up the thing that he found his strength in, that he found his status in. Now, there are people who will say, I am a follower of Christ, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I go to church as long as it's convenient. And I lift up Jesus' name as long as it doesn't mess with the way that people see me. And there is this concept that permeates the church in America specifically that says, I am the center of the church. And we don't like to say it out loud that way, but it happens like this. We have turned our church services into like America's Got Talent episodes where we sit there with our hand on the buzzer and we judge what's happening on the stage as if that's what worship is supposed to be. And you need to recognize you're not in a position of judging as you come to church. You're in a position of participating. And people have deceived themselves into thinking what spirituality is, is going in and determining whether the worship was good, whether the message was good, and whether the people were nice enough. And we've deceived ourselves into thinking our job is to come into a church to critique when our job is to come into a church and celebrate who God is. We celebrate him through the way that we worship. Whether the music is what we like or not, we can bring our worship. We celebrate who God is by the way that we treat the people around us. We celebrate who God is by using the gift that he has planted inside of us to serve other people. And there, there is this, you can call it a spirit of deception or an attitude of deception that has permeated, it has just worked its way throughout the church in America, where we come in and we think it's some sort of a movie theater, and it's not. You bring your worship, you bring your heart before God. And that's what living out the faith is supposed to be. And so to go back to the parable, not the parable, but the interaction with the rich young ruler, Jesus is showing you can look like you have it together and you can financially have it together. But if your heart is not in this position where it says, Christ, you are Lord over everything. This is the tough part. Jesus sent people away. and you have to unify your understanding that Jesus will invite anyone in, but no matter what your status is, Jesus will also send anyone away if they say, I'm gonna continue to sit on the throne of my life, but with my words, I'm gonna proclaim Jesus is Lord, but with my life, I'm gonna disregard everything that he teaches. Don't be deceived. There is only one king. There is only one Lord. There is only one who sits upon the throne, and it ain't me and it ain't you. That was the Georgia coming out of me right there. God won't be mocked. God won't be made fun of. God won't be tricked. People who give him lip service, it will be made clear. And as Jesus described today at the white throne judgment where he separates those who are his from those who are not, he says, there will be many on that day who will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and do many miracles in your name? And he will say, depart from me, for you never knew me, for I never knew you. And he will push them away because they never actually made him Lord. And, and if you're struggling with this concept, because I know this this can seem different from what, what is shared, I want you to go to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 21. If you have your Bible, this is a passage that you highlight. If you read it on your phone, this is one that you highlight on Save in there. Jesus brought clarity to the subject when he said, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Leave that up there for a minute because I need to make sure that that saturates in our mind. These are not my words. These are the words of Christ. This is the clarity that he brought to what it means to love him because our culture and time has said, yes, I love Jesus, but I just do it my own way. Jesus did not allow that. He left no room for it. He said, the evidence of you loving me is that you begin to follow my commandments and it's not that you get it perfect all the time. I love the example of, the, of, of Peter who continued to fail. He denied Jesus three times, but Jesus continued to bring him back because Peter continued to reaffirm that he's trying to make Jesus Lord. He's trying to do it the right way and God will not be mocked. God knows he's the perfect judge. This is what it means when scripture says that he's the perfect judge because he can separate your motives. And he knows when you're striving and when you're trying, and he knows when you're just coasting through your life. He knows when you're just taking the comfortable road all the time. And I want to challenge you, and I want to encourage you, and I want to stir you up. That your habits, they're setting a trajectory for your life. And your habits, they might be comfortable, they might be what you're used to, but they might be something that need to change because your habits, you know, when we think about sowing and reaping, when you plant something, when you sow something into the ground, it will grow into something in time. In Christmas tree terms, to get to a six foot tall Christmas tree, it takes 10 years. Your habits are sowing something. It's going to grow. Are your habits growing into something that you want it to grow into? Or are your habits just kind of mindlessly there? I'm going to skip to the second Corinthians chapter five passage, if you would. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses nine through 10. This is the apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And he says, So we make it our goal to please Christ, to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us. Listen to this. What is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. I want to hang out in this passage for a minute because scripture also says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like our penalty for sin has been fully paid. And this passage is not talking about you being penalized for sin, but it's, there, there's two judgments that scripture talks about regarding Christ. In Revelation 20, it describes the great white throne judgment, where, which I referred to before, where Jesus will separate those who are his from those who rejected him. And there's what's referred to as the Bema Seat of Christ, which is referred to here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as well as 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where it describes Jesus taking those who are his, and and there's a judgment that occurs for the good and for the bad. Now, when it says bad here, it's not just talking about sin. the, The word there in the Greek means what is worthless. There are things in your life that are not necessarily bad, but they are worthless, And in fact, when you see good in Scripture, especially when you look at the creation story, good does not just mean morally good. When you look at the creation story and it says that God created the light and the light was good, it's not because the light you know, lacked UV rays or something. It's not because the light was kind or spoke kind words. He said the light was good because the light fulfilled its purpose. He called the water good. He called the earth good because it fulfilled its purpose. When he looked at man and there was not yet woman, he, he said it was not good because man could not yet fulfill its purpose. And Jesus is going to bring us through a judgment. And last week, if you weren't here, you need to go back to that message and listen to where I talked about the crowns that are described in scripture. There are, there's going to be this time where we stand before Christ and he says, these are the things that you did that were good, that they fulfilled your purpose, that they made a difference. And he's going to actually celebrate those things. And that's awesome. And that's incredible. But the practicality of theology gets worked out even at the base level of habits. And so one of the questions has to be, if we're concerned about what will happen because it will happen, like listen to me, there will be a day before where you stand before Christ. Just you and him and as scripture says, there will be an audience of the saints there and he will celebrate what you did to fulfill your purpose in your life. Are your habits pointing you towards purpose? We, I mean, habits, they, they play out in lots of different ways from what you do when you wake up, but also you, you could also say it's a habit that when someone catches an attitude with you, I mean, you didn't start it or nothing, but like when someone catches an attitude with you, what is your habitual response to that? To give them what they gave you? I know that is like what I fall into automatically as well, but it ain't good. It, it, it's not part of my purpose. It's part of my ego, Well, I'm not going to let them talk to me like that because I'm so important. In fact, I'm so important that I'll put myself right back on the throne instead of Christ. I need to be worried about his image, not my image. Where are your habits taking you? And in fact, if we're going to just go with this Galatians passage, what are we sowing with our habits? Because if our habits are sowing something, like if I always, if I come home and and I catch an attitude when I come through the door from one of my kids or my wife. And my reaction is to just react in kind negatively. What am I sowing in that relationship? And do I want to grow, that to grow up until it's six foot tall? I know that you know this is a safe place to talk about it. It's harder when the adrenaline starts pumping. But this is where you have to start to begin to think, what am I actually sowing? And are the things that I'm sowing reflective of Christ's lordship in my life. The seeds that you are growing today, they will shape who you are tomorrow. Parents, the seeds that you are are planting, that you are sowing today, will shape your children's tomorrow as well. There's laws of sowing and reaping. This is like, just like the law of gravity, this is a scriptural law that will happen in your life. And I'm gonna give you all three and then I'm gonna break back through them to describe them a little bit more. But the laws of sowing and reaping are this. You reap what you sow. You reap more than you sow. And you reap after you sow. Number one, you reap what you sow. Whatever it is that you're planting. Listen, if you plant okra in the ground, you don't get apples. If you, if you plant anger in the ground you don't get affection. If you plant addiction in the ground, you don't get stability. If you plant isolation in the ground, you don't get community. And our flesh is often driving us towards habits and actions that are at odds with what our spirit and our mind knows that we need to have. And I wanna open your recognition to see what are the things that I am doing and are they actually planting what I want in my life? Hosea described it this way. It said, but you've planted wickedness and you've reaped evil. If we plant negative things, they're gonna grow up into bigger negative things within our life. We will reap what we don't sow. And so if you don't like what you are reaping, change what you are sowing. If you don't like the condition of the relationships in your life, change the way that you're treating people because of the headship of Christ in your life. If you don't like the way that your finances are going, begin to do it God's way and be generous with people. If you don't like the way that you feel that you're living in isolation, begin to get into community with other believers and let people into your life. Begin to plant the things that you know that you need. You reap what you sow. And number two, it multiplies. And this is the cool thing about the spiritual principle of reaping and sowing. God doesn't say if you plant one nice comment in the life of someone else that you'll get one nice comment back, it will actually multiply and grow. Jesus describes the multiplication of the kingdom of God in our lives this way. He says the seed will go out and sometimes it'll multiply 30 times. Sometimes it'll multiply 60 times. Sometimes it'll multiply a hundred times. But there's a spiritual season that sowing and reaping occurs in. And we can very clearly see the seasons of earth. Well, at least we have like two seasons in Florida. You northern people remember multiple seasons we, we can see those seasons. We put up the fall decorations, the Christmas decorations, the spring. We see those seasons change. It's harder to see in the spiritual realm. But rest assured of this, just as sure as seasons change here on earth, there are spiritual seasons that will occur that as you have been sowing seed, it will come to bloom. It will come to harvest. God will use it. I, I, I'll say it again this way a couple times as I close up this passage, but your faithfulness will not be wasted. And you have to have the faith in Christ to see it that way. That when I bite my tongue and I give grace instead of what they deserve, my faithfulness will not be wasted. When I invite someone to join us for dinner and they tell me, no thanks, sorry, I'm on a diet. I don't want to come. Like whatever reason they have, your faithfulness will not be wasted. When you serve someone else and they don't even say thank you, Your faithfulness will not be wasted. You are sowing something that you will reap later because God is faithful. And because in the kingdom of God and in the principle of sowing, he will bring it to a harvest and it will be greater than that which you invested. I'll... Illustrated this way with some physical principles that we, we know. Two, two identical men. Both of them find themselves, when they get home at night, just becoming reliant on that large glass of wine at the end of the day. Nothing particularly against wine, but they, they both recognize that they're needing it too much, and they both recognize they should stop doing that. One of them decides, all right, throwing the bottle out, I'm done with it, and that's 125 less calories in my life. It'll be fine. The other one just ignores it and says, I should change, but I'm not, and he keeps going. After one week, you don't see any difference in the two guys from that one little choice. It's just one small choice. After two weeks, you still can't tell anything. Really, after three months, you really can't notice a thing about them. But if you take it 27 months later, the 125 calories per day, the one who stopped will be 33 pounds lighter than the one that kept going there would actually be a 66 pound difference between the two men. Because when you're faithful in a small thing for a long time, the results build up and build up and build up. And maybe you can't notice two pounds or three pounds, but you can notice the difference of 66 pounds between two men. And you might feel like, the habit that I feel like that I know that I need to change, it's just too small to make a difference. I want to impress upon you that until you trust God with the small things, he's not going to trust you with the big things. And you need to have the eyes of faith to say, this is a small seed that I'm planting, but it's going to grow into something big because discipline multiplies as well. That when we are disciplined in the things that we do, it continues to grow and grow and grow. And so if I, if I do this, I allow God to multiply it. There will be something that I reap because I will reap the things that I sow. And if you are sowing disobedience to God, you're going to reap disobedience and destruction. But if you sow obedience of God, whatever you ask, no matter how small, I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna follow through. I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow your lead. You're gonna reap blessings. Your faithfulness in that, in that way, it's not... It's not going to be wasted. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to close this out. As the passage begins to wrap up in verse 9, Galatians 6, verse 9, it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. It it can be hard when you're doing something and you don't see the results. When When you're like, I'm praying for this, but I don't see the answer yet. It takes some faith in your heart to say, I know, I know that God is going to work this out. No matter how small the thing is that I'm praying or no no matter how small the step that I'm having to take to live out my faith is. I'm going to compare it to this. If you were getting onto an airplane and you sit down, you buckle your seatbelt, flight attendant shuts the door, locks it, They're starting their little info brief, and you're being the best little flyer. You got a little pamphlet open. You're looking at the exit doors, actually listening to the person. And as they wrap up, the pilot comes on the the overhead speaker and says, (coughs) on behalf of all of our flight crew, I would like to welcome you onto our aircraft today. Our flight time should be about two and a half hours, Uh, but I did want to tell you that While we were preparing uh, to take off and and taxiing out towards the runway, we noticed a small piece of the engine fell off. But I want to reassure you we're going to get you there on time, Uh, we're not going to worry about it because it's just a small piece. We should be fine, but if we're not, our flight will be even shorter than scheduled. And because we're a caring crew, we also skipped the routine routine maintenance that we should have done today because we don't want you to miss your appointment later today. We're thankful that you flew with us and we hope we all have the opportunity to fly again. If you were on that plane, you would be like, get me off of this plane. I don't care how little the piece of the engine was. If it's supposed to be there, I want it there. And I don't wanna fly on something that is missing the small piece that was supposed to be there. And God might be impressing upon you, there's this small change. Like, give me authority over that area. Stop speaking to them like that. Actually start praying, actually apply the scripture to your life. Or when you get into worship, Actually focus on me and just bring like he might be asking you to do a small thing and it might seem like it makes a small difference. But if you remove one small piece, a lot of other pieces can begin to break down. And just like with a small, with the young, rich young ruler, it's like if there's one piece that you refuse to give God, He'll just ask you the question: Well, who is Lord? Who is Lord in your life? Who has authority in your life? Is it me or is it you? And God will invite you in just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you just as you are. And he says, if you love me, you will follow my commands. And so church, I want to challenge you. Allow him to have the authority over your life. And whatever small thing he is impressing upon you, the step that you need to take, see that small thing as if it's a big thing because you know that it'll grow into something big because you know you will reap a harvest in these days to come. Let me pray for you. Father, we're thankful that you lead us through small steps to carry us over great distances that you transform us in ways that we never thought were possible because you, you have this calling that you place on our life. And as you are moving right now, I pray that you would impress upon each one of us the step that we need to take. And because we love you, we will follow your commandments and we will follow wherever you lead because we know that as we plant these seeds of faith, they will grow into something beautiful. They will grow into something that transforms our life and transforms our family and transforms our city. We're thankful that you use us, that you move through us, and we are excited about what you're going to do in these days and months and years to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Now today, if you recognize that God is pushing on your heart about taking a step and and that you need to bring someone alongside you so that they know so that they can hold you accountable so that they could just maybe lift it up in prayer if you feel like you need to vocalize what's happening our prayer team is going to be moving up towards the front right now i'm going to be over here and we would love to pray with you we would love to rejoice with you as you take your spiritual step but don't let these moments pass by where god is stirring something up in you without adding action to the spiritual movement that's occurring in your life will you stand with us as we sing.